The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. It's Monday, February the 25th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Today, the leaders of the EU and the leaders of the Arab League are meeting in Sharm al-Sheikh in Egypt for a major intergovernmental conference. But that's not really what people are focusing on. Also there is Theresa May, and she has been meeting with many people, including the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, Donald Tusk, and with Angela Merkel. And there's been quite a lot of developments in relation to Brexit. Our deputy political editor, Fia Kelly, was there in Egypt to cover all the proceedings and I talked to him earlier. Just be warned, the line is a little bit spotty at times. Fiek, it seems to have been a pretty lively day in Sharm el-Sheikh today. Yeah, it exceeded expectations really, Hugh, the billing for this summit. It's not an EU plenary summit. It was a summit between the EU and the League of Arab States. The pre-billing was pretty low. We were told there'd be no deal at the desert, that nothing would happen. But as it turned out, quite a bit happened today. There's a string of bilateral meetings in the last 24 hours between Theresa May and Donald Tusk, between Leo Varadkar and Theresa May, with Theresa May and Angela Merkel. Various people were meeting on the margins of this summit. Oh, we saw the big development, I suppose, out of the summit was, in his concluding remarks, Donald Tusk said, you know, I want to end the speculation. I did speak to Theresa May last night about an extension of the Article 50 negotiating period. He said that that would be the best solution to what is a potentially a catastrophic no-deal scenario. He said, you know, Prime Minister May still believes that she can avoid the scenario by getting a deal through Parliament Almost immediately after that, Theresa May held her press conference and she repeatedly refused to actually rule out extending Article 50. Now, she said she kept using those stock lines. A deal was, is within our grasp. We're going to work hard. My team are going to meet Michel Barnier's team to look for legal assurances on the backstop. It's the language you've all heard before. But she didn't rule out an extension of Article 50. And on her way here, in the plane, on the way over to Sharm el-Sheikh, she said that this week's meaningful vote, which was to you know be the latest on her Brexit, would, would be postponed until March 12th. So a lot has happened in the last 24 hours. And by saying a deal was within our grasp, that's that's a significant shift from what she'd been saying up until the last 24 hours, isn't it? A deal is within our grasp means that it's something that might possibly happen, but isn't even necessarily probable. It's it, it, not necessarily that it's probable. And it seems that she is moving away, although they're still talking about these ideas of unilateral exit clauses and time limits that... What they're looking for is now some sort of wording, some legal assurance that the backstop will only be temporary. We all know that they want to go back to Parliament with fresh advice from the Attorney General, Geoffrey Cox, and say, this isn't going to keep us trapped in the EU's economic orbit forever. Now, on the EU side, there is some degree of expectation from people... Uh, in Dublin and in Brussels that not explicitly, that implicitly Theresa May in the next week or so would rule out no deal. They think that she will make some sort of statement to the Commons which will acknowledge that she will not or she will pretty strongly hint at that she will not bring uh, the UK out of the EU without a deal on March 29th. That's what they're hoping for. That's the next stage they're watching for because they feel she will bow to the inevitable parliamentary arithmetic in the House of Commons, which is that there is believed to be a majority against no-deal Brexit. I think that's the next step 
people uh, in Brussels and Dublin are looking towards. Yes, indeed. And the reason, effectively, that she is doing this, or the main reason that she's doing this, isn't that, that her fear that the Cooper Letwin Amendment, the one which effectively blocks any possibility of a no deal, will not only get passed, which would be a defeat for her, but that a substantial number of members of her own government would vote in favour of it as well, and she'd then have to fire them. Yeah, we have, uh, we've already seen over the weekend people like David Gawke, Amber Rudd, saying that they want to prevent a no deal Brexit and it's been reported that they have threatened to resign in private meetings with Theresa May to vote against a no deal strategy. So in a way, she may be bowing to the inevitable. That is, if she follows through on this expectation, it's happened in the past that people expect Theresa May to do something, she does quite the opposite. But it would be... I suppose, neutralising that threat of losing ministers if she was to say, I'm taking no deal off the table now, we're going to proceed on that basis. Now, again, it's not going to be explicit or the expectation is that it wouldn't be explicit, but rather a hint towards it. I saw some speculation in the British media that she may say that something like she cannot defy the will of the commons, which people would take to mean if you vote against no deal, I'm not going to go ahead with no deal. And what's the read there and what the implications of that move would be in the House of Commons? Will that will that kill the Cooper Letwin Amendment for the moment? It possibly would, but again, if it's not spelled out, there would be people who would doubt she's going to go through with it. Might she try and muddle through again by keeping the right of her party, the ERG, on side without giving too much to the left? There's a, you know, there's always a degree of scepticism, but that those who are of a remain persuasion within the cabinet and who would like to prevent no deal are not willing to take the nuclear option of resigning and doing really I suppose spectacular political things to bring about their goals so that is the main I suppose question over that but the Taoiseach in his comments today was really quite explicit I thought he said I don't think we're going to have a no deal Brexit I think we're going to have a deal by the end of March or an extension now he made those comments before Donald Tusk brought the issue of an extension onto the table quite firmly. So perhaps the teacher had some knowledge of what was coming. I'm assuming he did. But what he said today was a very clear statement that he didn't believe no deal would happen, that he believed the deal with some sort of clarification would pass the Commons by March 29th or there would be an extension. And curiously as well, I think he differed from his EU colleagues in that we heard Mark Rutte again today saying any extension to Article 50 cannot be an extension to nowhere effectively. He said there must be some plan from the UK about what it wants an extension for. So the teacher acknowledged that there is a view around the EU that if the UK is asked for an extension, it has to be with a goal in mind. They have to have some sort of plan about where they want to go and maybe they'd work through the technical details of it. That would be this much-talked-about extension till the end of May or June, which ensures that there are no British MEPs in the next European Parliament. The teacher said oh, he had no firm opinion on that whatsoever. And he actually said that when you consider the effect on the economy and Northern Ireland, that whether we have a couple of extra MEPs is not big deal in the overall scheme of things. So he was quite clearly saying, look, I don't think an extension, a lengthy extension might be a problem, although some of his EU colleagues differed. But there was his talk yesterday evening, the Guardian reported on like a two-year extension almost. That wasn't really taken seriously by people. Well, the teacher may be open to a longer extension than just three months. I don't think anybody sees two years as a realistic prospect. Well, I think we could see that a two-year extension would cause Theresa May all kinds of problems with the ERG and the, 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 the Brexiteer element of her own party. But a two-month extension, given that Theresa May's greatest talent, if it can be described as such, has been just kicking that can again and again down the road while the clock keeps ticking, is two months going to make that much difference? Two months to do what? She seems to believe that it wouldn't. And I was at her press conferences, at all the press conferences today, 
And at her press conferences, she kind of said that. She said, this is just delaying the point at which decisions have to be made. And she is right in that regard. A two-month extension is, is seen primarily as a technical extension, that a decision will be made in principle and you'll be working through the technicalities of it, getting legislation through the Commons to prepare for whatever eventualities there may be. But her position, which she repeated again and again at that press conference, is you know, that would just delay the decision, that it would, won't achieve anything in Parliament, that the problem is still there. So it's still the case that she's against an extension, even though the EU explicitly the move in the last day or so seems to have been that they are now talking to her about the details of it. What Tusk said was that he raised with uh, May last night the legal effect of an extension. So he kind of said to her, look, procedurally, legally, this is how we will go about it. But she said back to him, according to Tusk's telling of the meeting was, I still think I can get this deal over the line. And well, whether or not she's right about that, and not a lot of people think she is right about that, but you know, you, you, you never know. I mean, the fact is that if a deal were agreed at some point in March, you know, as it would be at this time, it was passed by the House of Commons, they'd need an extension anyway, because there's so much paperwork and technical things to be passed, mm. and there's all kinds of complications. So the, the one way or the other, the exit on the 29th of March is, is, is not feasible. But given that she is playing this game, which is really handing, you know, hanging the threat of no deal over the House of Parliament as the only other alternative to her deal or the deal, um, does that not cut the legs out from under that strategy? Well, there's a, a few now that, that, that she may frame the choice, not as no deal, but as no Brexit or her deal. And that maybe she wouldn't be unhappy if that cooper one amendment was to pass. Then it would frame the choice to the ERG and the right of her party as it's my deal or no Brexit. And, you know, the fear of those people in the Conservative Party would be that an extension, it's the start of a longer process. You might start with a two-month extension, does two months become two uh, years, does two months become nine months, is it a rolling extension? So I think that's the fear she's going to play on, that while she may be forced to take no deal off the table, she can then turn and use the threat of no Brexit as a way of getting what she wants. Is it really? It seems like a really bizarre setup there today. It's a it's a meeting between the EU and the Arab League, and certainly from our point of view, it's entirely dominated by this entirely unrelated, though extremely important, um, chain of events. What's the general mood there? What what are observers saying about what's going on? Well, it was it was quite striking that at the uh, the press conference with Tusk was uh, co-hosted with President Al Sisi of Egypt, who is the host of this summit. It was Juncker, Tusk, and their hosts. And the first question was from a European journalist who effectively said, I know this is an EU-Arab summit, but I have to ask about the dominating issue, which is Brexit. Can you tell us what's going on? And Tusk off the bat spoke about Brexit. So Brexit has swamped everything else with this summit. It is the first of its kind. It is the first time the League of Arab States and the EU have sat down to talk in this forum. Like It is a huge summit. If you saw the table last night, it was almost like the size of a football pitch from one end to the other. But Brexit has overshadowed every Thing. In a way, this is really much a pro forma summit anyway. The plenary is almost like a UN General Assembly. All leaders get up and make a speech. Leo Varadkar spoke today about the importance of human rights. He talked about our abortion referendum, our same-sex marriage referendum, and how those values, the values of choice and the values of love are universal. So it's all very staged, apart from Brexit, which is really where the dynamic action at this summit has been happening and where all the interest is, quite frankly. Although there is something mildly ironic about anybody standing up and proclaiming the values of human rights in, under the current Egyptian regime. Yeah, and it was quite funny, actually, at the end of the press conference, 
with uh, Tusk and Al Sisi, the Egyptian journalists all just broke into thunderous applause, and Tusk looked out at this, saying, "Well, you wouldn't get that in Europe anyway," and kind of laughed to himself before he walked off stage. You know, every every Egyptian journalist around us in the hall started applauding, and we couldn't really figure out why. I think it was like to congratulate him on the successful hosting us. It was a really bizarre bizarre uh, event, one that we all had to pinch ourselves walking out the press conference room. I presume the Taoiseach spin doctors will be looking for similar treatment from you from now on? Oh, yes, indeed. The SEU will be repurposed for that purpose, you know. Not only is good coverage enough, but we must applaud and give standing ovations at all times. So I suppose just just, just to be a little bit more seriously to, and, and, and to wrap up, what is the sense among the, you know, the Irish government team there? Do they, do they feel that things are heading more in a direction which would be would it be satisfactory from, from Ireland's point of view? Well, I think if their expectation that no deal will be taken off the table by Theresa May in the coming days, I- implicitly anyway, that would be a huge relief to the government because what you're facing then is an amended version of her deal, which they have repeated again and again and again, cannot be changed in substance, the backstop cannot be changed in substance, or a long extension to the Brexit process that would say quite comfortably with Dublin, you would think like no deal is the nightmare scenario, and if it was heavily indicated that that is going to be removed as a threat in the coming days, there would be a huge sigh of relief, I think, in government buildings. Yeah, I think the, the radio waves are starting to interfere uh, with us in the desert there, so we should leave it there. For you. But listen, thanks very much for joining us from Sharm Shake today. All right, bye lads. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon. Remember, you can mail me at hlinhon at irishtimes.com to tell us what you think. Please do give us a five-star rating on whatever your podcast platform may be because it helps to get us out to a broader audience. But until the next time, thanks very much indeed for listening.